Welcome to the Get a Job, Here's How podcast, the practical how-to guide for women returning to the workforce, recent grads, and those looking to get the job of their dreams. Now, here's the founder of the Back to Business Women's Conference and your host, Katie Dunn. Welcome to this very special episode of the Get a Job, Here's How podcast. It's special because this is a conversation that has been really of interest to me personally and professionally. I'm a parent of four kids, two of whom are college age, and I'm also a career coach. So some of the conversations that we've been having in our house have been around sitting out a year of college and what would the kids do if they decided to go that route? With our current COVID-19 crisis, it looks to be a really, really uncertain year on college campuses. And frankly, as a parent, I'm not 100% convinced that that is something that we want to pay for. So our conversations have been around, what would we do? What would the kids do this year to keep learning and growing and being productive if they decided to sit out the year of college? And one of the ideas that we're going to talk through in depth today is the idea of going to code school and then working as a software developer for six months, nine months before rejoining their peers on campus in the fall of 2021. So to have this conversation, I invited Jessica Mitch, who's the CEO and co-founder of Momentum here in Durham, North Carolina. Momentum is sponsoring this episode of our podcast. So thanks to Momentum for their support. We're going to be talking to an alum of the program, Mason Whitaker, and also Abby Bittler, who is a college advisor. And so lots of interesting perspectives on this thought today. Lots of, I hope, great information if you're a parent or a student and you are having the same conversations in your house that we're having in our house. So to start off, I want to give a little bit of background on Momentum. Momentum was built on the foundation that the Iron Yard laid in the Durham area. The Iron Yard left in 2017, and from there, Jessica and her co-founder, Clinton Dreisbach, started the Momentum Code School. I am the Director of Career Development at Momentum, and so I can tell you from my perspective that our students are super highly engaged, it's a great program with really high quality instruction. And as our students leave Momentum at, with, with the skills of a junior software developer, they are going out into the world and getting some pretty cool jobs. For most of them, it's a dramatic career change. And so that's a really cool thing to see as a career coach. So sit back in your seat and buckle up and enjoy this conversation. I hope it sparks some ideas in you if you are a parent or a student facing down the choice of to college or not to college in 2020. Hey listeners, I am super excited about the episode we are working on for you today. This is the Get a Job, Here's How podcast. I'm your host, Katie Dunn, and I'm joined by a fantastic group of people who each bring a different perspective to the conversation of how to make the most of an uncertain college year. Specifically, we're going to talk about the idea of taking a gap year, knowing that the 2021 
academic year looks to be filled with a lot of uncertainty as we're facing the realities and all the unknowns that go along with the COVID-19 crisis that we're currently weathering here. I'd like to introduce each of my guests today, and then we've got um, a fantastic set of topics we want to discuss as we sort of walk through this gap year discussion and hopefully provide you with tons of great ideas about things you could do if you're a college student or you're a parent of a college student and you're considering a gap year or deferring college for a year in order to wait out some of this uncertainty and yet still are looking for a really meaningful way to spend the time. So first, we've got Abby Bittler. Abby is a college planner and academic coach. And Abby, welcome. Um, We'd love to have you give us a little bit about what you do and tell us where we can find you. Sure. Thank you for having me, Katie. Yes, I'm Abby Bittler. I'm a college planner and academic coach. I'm located in Cary, North Carolina. Right now, I'm working virtually with all my students due to the COVID pandemic. You can find me at OptimaEducational.com. That's OptimaEducational.com. And I'm an independent college planner and academic coach, which means I work directly with families, helping their high school and transfer college students get ready for higher ed, helping them to discover their aptitudes, their interests, and find a great college fit. Fantastic. Thank you. We are also joined by Jessica Mitch. Jessica is the co-founder and CEO at Momentum. So Jessica, welcome and thanks for being here today. Would love to hear a little bit about your background and tell us about what you're doing now. Awesome. Thank you so much, Katie. I'm excited to be here and for the discussion because what a year it has been. (laughs) Momentum focuses on training for the tech industry. Uh, we focus on upskilling and reskilling web and software developers, and we do that by working with individuals, mostly all adults. The average student that comes through a Momentum course is around 30 years old. They're uh, entering their second career, sometimes third careers. And then on occasion, we serve younger students that are in that college cohort age group who we've got somebody joining us today who had that experience when he was in that age group. But we also work with companies and organizations on either placing our graduates into their organizations, helping them find talent or working internally with those organizations on upskilling and reskilling their employees so that they're ready for the future of work, which is all technology focused and, and primarily a lot of code, software and web development driven. Fantastic. And Mason Whitaker is also with us today. Mason is a project manager at Sunrise Technologies. Mason, welcome. Thanks for joining us and would love to hear a little bit about um, what it is that you do at Sunrise Technologies. Sunrise Technologies, we're a Microsoft partner and we do large scale ERP implementations for apparel and footwear goods. So ERP is enterprise resource planning. So it's essentially if you think of all the systems that you use in your business, like customer relationship management or product lifecycle management, all these things that kind of all fall fall under the umbrella of ERP. And so we work with large businesses that are looking to implement Microsoft solutions, and then we help them turn their great ideas into reality. 
Yeah. And like Jesse mentioned, I did attend Momentum back in 2014, and that kind of helped jumpstart my career into the position I'm at. All right. Great. Thanks for being with us, Mason. So to kick the discussion off, I want to start with a with a brief sort of look into the impact of COVID on higher education. And this is something that I have been thinking a lot about lately. I've been listening to a lot of people like Scott Galloway. Jessica, you turned me on to Scott Galloway. Mm -hmm. um, he's a professor at NYU, and he's been a really outspoken critic of higher education and a very outspoken advocate of the need for change. And a lot of that is based around the really high cost of higher education now. And so, it, and, and the idea that the COVID crisis is going to sort of accelerate that change that we're seeing in higher education. Abby, you're really close to, obviously, to higher education, advising students and, you know, seeing change that's happening in that space or maybe not happening in that space. And would love to hear your thoughts on how you think this crisis might, you know, be impacting or changing higher education, either for the better or for the worse. Yes, I think probably both. I have a high school senior and like many parents who have a high school senior, we're thinking, are these students going to be able to have a residential living experience? Are they going to be able to get off in the fall? And if so, what will college look like for them? I think at this point, it is still a bit early to say. Uh, colleges are, at this point, some are saying they're going to be open. Some are saying they're going to be modified. Some are saying they're going to be closed. I would tell your listeners to make sure they keep close contact with their students' prospective college because every college will be different depending on the area of the country and the extent to which they're dealing with the COVID crisis. So I don't think there's going to be a one size fits all solution for having students return to campus if that's possible. What I do think that we're going to be seeing as a country is more students staying closer to home. Uh, within 180 mile radius, three hours of home, I think parents are going to be hesitant to be sending students to the other side of the country. And I think our international student population will be greatly affected. Yeah, that international student. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think that the internationals, uh, the international population will be facing the most challenges with returning to the country. Yep. And I feel like a domino effect of that international population being impacted is the financial impact that has on our schools here because... A lot of our universities count on those international students to pay full freight, and which is a really hefty price tag for anybody, particularly maybe if you're coming from a country where, you know, the value of your currency doesn't stand up against ours here and the standard of living is different. So I know that is that is a huge impact to our schools to not have those students coming in and paying full fare. Absolutely. I think it's huge. Also, with our domestic student population, affordability is going to be at the forefront for parents. There are so many people out of work or people who've had their incomes decreased or just feeling really uncertain financially in light of the COVID crisis. And I think that in turn will cause more parents to be price sensitive, to be reconsidering in-state universities, community colleges, 
I think will become much more desirable for students. I think there's just less certainty overall with getting off to college in the fall. Yeah, absolutely. Jessica, I know you and I have talked a lot about how this is changing higher education and would love to hear your thoughts on um, any changes that you maybe see coming to higher ed as a result of this crisis. I have been in a, I guess, a higher ed adjacent space (laughs) for a long time now. And I have really believed that where the puck is heading when it comes to higher ed is going to be more around individual and more individualized education and the concept of this rapid change of technology and rapid economic change is going to create this ebb and flow of people needing to go in and out of higher education throughout their career. And that is something that, you know, I've, I've definitely thought the puck was heading in that direction for a long time. And of course the cost conversation becomes really important because the, the, the college tuition costs in my lifetime alone has gone up 160%, way surpassing the prices of inflation. I think that having this more a la carte approach to education is going to be where where everybody is heading. And also to acknowledge so many of the the students that we serve at Momentum, 70% of them, and and Katie, you you probably can check me on that number, but I'm pretty sure it's about 70% have traditional university degrees, a bachelor's degree or a master's degree. But when they went through school, it could be 10 plus years ago. The demands of what has changed in the economy have changed such that the skills that are required now were not taught back then. And so they're having to re-enter education in this in this a la carte fashion and go back just for something accelerated. They, you know, aren't in a position in their life where they want to go back for a you know full full four-year degree or two-year degree, nor do they see that it's necessary. They already have a degree. So I definitely think that was where higher education was headed. And I think the COVID crisis, like everything else, it has created an accelerant, a quick push on the gas pedal on, on pushing us in that direction. That's a really good point. And I think the cost of college is is a big part of what has sort of precipitated the need for change. Of course, there's our student debt crisis, $1.5 trillion. I mean, that is so insane. And then you have people graduating from college and they don't have the skills to get a job. So I think that ROI conversation around college has really come into sharp focus lately. And particularly as colleges had to make that very quick pivot to doing everything online and they weren't equipped for it. And, you know, I think the parents got a glimpse into what's really, what is my kid really getting at college? And a lot of us were surprised what we're paying for versus what we're getting. And, and I think that's not a good, not a good look on on our higher education institutions. But you're right, Jessica, a lot of about, it is about 70% of our students at Momentum who do have a college college degree or higher, and yet they are seeing that need for reskilling and retraining. And I think there's come to be an understanding, too, in the workforce that your education is not something that ever finishes. So you don't just graduate from college and you're done with education forever. Now you go work. There needs to be sort of this constant, you're working, you're learning, you're working, you're learning, you know, sort of dual track that's happening throughout your career. So I'm not sure that the typical college model is set up 
to accommodate that anymore. So, yeah, thinking about what COVID is doing to impact higher ed, it feels to me like higher ed was one of those spaces that was really ripe for change even before this hit. And so now we're we're seeing what that maybe it's going to look like sooner than we thought we would. And I think that'll be playing out in the next couple of years, too. So as you see a lot of these smaller schools, maybe those like lower tier schools that simply aren't able to make it financially. And so it'll be really interesting to see how that how that plays out. So Abby, thinking about what colleges might look like if they open up for resident students in the fall, you brought up the point that it will likely be a very different experience than what it looked like a year or two ago. What are some of those changes that you're hearing colleges will be making in order to accommodate students on campus in the fall? Yes. Well, I think we're still waiting to see how this virus behaves in the coming week. Uh, Many colleges have said they would be communicating with their students by the beginning to middle of July as to what policies and procedures would be in place and whether residence halls will be open. Again, check with your students' individual colleges. I think that colleges are working on a variety of models. Um, Best case scenario, our country can get this virus under control to a better extent and families and students can feel comfortable coming back onto campus. I think obviously until we have medical treatment for the vaccine, I think there's going to be have to be so much enhanced safety and hygiene protocol, everything from wearing masks to decreased number of students on the campus, reducing social activities. So I don't think college is going to look like what it was when you went for the tour in the fall. I really want students to be critical thinkers, and I really want them to think all the way through what college will look like and how will that affect them and how happy are they going to be at college with those changes this year. Um, Some other options are looking at our hybrids where they would have online classes, um, some reduced in-person capacity classes. I think that multimodal is how many colleges and universities will be going. They have to. We just don't know how the virus will behave and whether students get started, if they will have to stop, if we'll have to switch to online instruction. And then there's the option of starting the year fully remote. And depending on the area of the country uh, where your listeners are, that's a possibility. Lots of options. I think that testing, tracing, quarantine dorms, single room dorms, um, hopefully an emphasis with getting freshmen on campus and getting some of those upperclassmen off campus uh, are all things that I've heard. Mm -hmm. I've also heard the idea that schools might be testing everybody on the way in and then grouping students This group has the antibodies, this group does not, like separating them um, or or combining them in such a way that the students who don't have the antibodies and thus haven't had the exposure yet are only with people who have it, you know, who have those antibodies and thus are not at risk of getting anything. So restrictions on the number of people in a room, the number of visitors you can have in your dorms. All of that. Yeah, you you mentioned single rooms only. I don't know how colleges have the space to accommodate. I don't think all of them do. I don't think all of them 
do. I think those that can reduce capacity uh, or can spread out their capacity will do so. It's not a possibility. The social distancing is going to be a real challenge. And Katie, we're talking about 18 to 24 year olds. <laughs> yes. I'm not, not sure this is the most com- <laughs> social compliance. I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure even given best case scenarios, I'm not sure we're working with the most compliant population. Some students will be more inclined to follow the rules, others less so. Um, So that's another question mark as well. So we've seen the California State University system announce they will be online only starting in the fall. And they base that on what they said um, our expert forecasts of a second smaller wave of the virus this summer, followed by a very significant wave in the fall, and their realization that they do not want to be responsible for their 480,000 undergraduate students on their campuses as that happens. So, but I know I've also seen Colby College say they're considering starting late, delaying the yes. first semester even until December or January. And then running a full year of in-person education that starts very late and runs through next summer. So there's all everybody's looking at perhaps the same data, but drawing some very different conclusions. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that, Katie, comes from the location of the country and how the virus is behaving in that area of the country and how the people are doing in terms of their recovery and immunity and so forth. I do think definitely that we are going to be seeing adjustments to the calendar, everything from later start dates to online start dates and then in person, because we just don't know at this point. This is where the idea of perhaps um, sitting out the year of college comes in because your experience will certainly be very different. I mean, that's one of the only things we can say for certain right now is if you go, your experience will be very different. I am a parent of two college age students, and I am really encouraging my two to sit out the year. Um, Not because I don't want them to have to face uncertainty and be forced to be flexible and make adjustments. I think those are great life skills. And and I'm interested in, in fostering those in my kids. But I'm not interested in spending between the two of them about $45,000 this year in tuition only to have them start school, come home, go back, come home, and just really not get the education that I thought I was paying for. So to me, the gap year or deferring a year is a really attractive option this year. Abby, I'm sure you have coached students through making that decision in in more normal times. And would love to hear from a college advisor's perspective what you think about that. I think a gap year is a great idea. There's tons of research showing that a gap year can be so beneficial and growth enhancing for students and have a lot better outcomes when they do get on the four-year college campuses. Traditionally, a gap year was an opportunity to travel. There's lots of study abroad programs, uh, work, work study, volunteer, and those can be all um, in their home community, uh, in other states domestically or abroad. Obviously, the traditional gap year is going to be different this year. Again, just due to travel restrictions and having to make adjustments um, based on different parts of the world. Uh, But I do still think that a gap year is very valuable. 
I would encourage students to really do their research. There are still programs that are out there. There are online opportunities. There are opportunities right in their hometown where they can make a, a significant impact. What are some of the things that students could do this year if they decide to take that gap year? Working, perhaps in an industry in which they're interested. I think that there are opportunities. I think students are really going to have to be purposeful in searching those out. Obviously, a lot of the traditional activities are not going to be available. Students definitely need to contact First, Katie, they need to contact their college or university and let them know that they would like to defer and they would like to take a gap year. And again, every college and university may have different policies on this. I spoke with my daughter's university and they had said that in order to maintain her standing as a freshman and her merit scholarships, she could only take 12 credit hours at another institution. And again, that may vary, but you would want to make sure that you preserve the integrity of your start date and your scholarship money. Good point. I know schools also have deadlines for when they need to hear from you if you are planning to defer or take a gap year. The one I looked up in particular was North Carolina State University here in Raleigh, and their deadline is August 1st for applying, I guess, for the deferral or for the gap year. So a lot of things that students typically do during a gap year may not be available this year, including travel and some of the other taking classes in other places. In this time of change, a lot of those programs are just simply not operating this year. How about volunteer opportunities, churches, environmental organizations, food banks? Seems like these would all be places that could put some industrious, smart young people to work. Yes, absolutely. I I agree. I think all of those places in their communities could be a good starting point. And I think it's really important to balance the time spent online with time spent in person as much as possible, given the COVID restrictions you're going to be seeing students become very creative. They're going to have to be. Absolutely. Given that I work at Momentum, which is a code school based in Durham, um, with Jessica, who's on the program with us today, we have been tossing around the idea that a really meaningful way for people to spend a gap year would be to be picking up the job skills of coding. And so attending a code school Um, like Momentum, which we are typically an in-person program, but are now operating virtually like many other educational institutions. But I do think, and Jessica, you can speak to this as well, that sort of our brand of virtual is really different than, than what I've seen my kids doing virtually from college over these past few months, because virtual from college has kind of meant Here's some slides. Here's a reading list. Go do this. It's due in a week. The Momentum brand of virtual has been a very different experience. It's as live as it can possibly be. And Jessica, maybe I'll toss it over to you to kind of address how at Momentum we have handled that shift to virtual. Yeah. So what we do for our students is really get them ready for a job. And so we are doing exactly what all the employers who hire our graduates are doing, which is we are running a work day, Monday through Friday, a normal work day with our students. And we are doing it over Zoom. 
but we've kept the schedule the same, which is exactly how tech companies are operating, right? They have their meeting schedules are the same. They're just doing them over Zoom. They're still, you know, writing code, producing work, and they're just doing it in virtual tools. And the tech industry is already way ahead of the game when it comes to virtual tools as it is. There's tools like communication channels like Slack. Um, There are massive tech companies that have almost entirely virtual workforces. And that was pre-COVID. So this industry has done a good job and, and knows how to do it. And our instructor team knows how to do it. And really what we're having our students do is just adapt. Because at the end of the day, most tech companies that we work with, we're seeing announcements that they're not expecting for people to come back into the office until early 2021. So the jobs that they're going to get this year are going to be virtual jobs. So we have to get them ready for that. And we, to Katie's point, it is, you know, they're with us in the mornings, they're writing code, they're having what mirrors a lecture, but is mostly project-based learning. Uh, And they're doing breakout groups on Zoom and they're active online all day. We are still being able to achieve the the material and and get through the material that we had originally planned for. It's very much live, (laughs) active and participatory every day. Yeah, great point. And the Momentum program is a 16-week program with a start basically any month, including our next start, which is on July 13th. When I put my parent hat on as the person who writes the checks for the education and the family, (laughs) when I first thought about this, I thought, well, then I'm essentially paying for almost a fifth year of college, which which is not, was not in my plan. But when I sat down and did ransom numbers, here's what I come up with. If you, instead of going to college, do a program like Momentum, tuition is $18,200. You pay that, you go through the program for 16 weeks. And then as you come out of the program, you have the skills of a junior software developer, which happens to be a, a really spot on skill set for our for our current job market in particular, but even before COVID was a really sought after set of job skills. And so if you graduate in November, you then can work, work on a do a contract, a six-month contract, say. And if you are, let's just ballpark making $25 an hour and you work for six months. After tax, you'd bring home twenty thousand, almost twenty thousand five hundred dollars. You are able then to sort of repay to your college fund what you spent on the program, and then you still have a few thousand dollars left over to set you up nicely as you return to college in the fall of twenty twenty one. So, to me, it makes sense on so many levels. There's the financial level. There's the just the fact of doing something really meaningful with your time that sets you up for career success after the fact. And there's the idea that you're really productively learning, you're collaborating with people, um, and you're not caught in the cycle of wondering what's going to happen with school. Am I going to be have to go home today? Are they sending us home? You know, so you're a little bit taking yourself out of the mix of all that uncertainty surrounding residential college life during COVID. 
Mason, who is with us. Mason, you've been quiet thus far, and I'm dying to get to your story. So would love to have you tell us about your decision to go to code school at Momentum, to do college, and how that's impacted your career. Because you're sort of the perfect example of somebody who's combined code school and college to great success. Yeah, sure. So I guess I can start with like the why of what made me attend code school in the first place. And it's kind of a funny story. When I was in high school, I always worked at jobs like being a busboy at some of the local restaurants. And then I worked at Panera Bread. And I just I got to the point of doing half days at school because I was a senior and I had all of the credits. And so I started working at Panera Bread almost full time. And it was it was like between 35 and 39 hours. So just enough to keep me below full time. And then after, you know, kind of months of cleaning out the trash, I said to myself that this is not what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And, and I quit. And so I remember that day going home and thinking, what am I going to do? I have to have something to do. So I brought, it together, I brought together 10 of my best friends and we started a business together. And it was entirely based off of the premise that we were young and we thought that we could help out the older generation with doing things with technology. So we started a marketing firm that did social media management, website design, and logo design. And we were thinking that we could just partner with businesses that didn't have an online presence, and then we could just grow them from there. And, you know, we thought it would be easy, uh, kind of that, that youth mindset. But we focused all of our attention on getting new clients. And after all of this effort to get new clients, once we found a few of the solid opportunities, we we're getting ready to take them on. And we all kind of looked at each other and said, okay, well, what do we do now? Because none of us knew how to do any of it. Website design, social media management. I mean, none of it. So I was like, hey, I'll, I'll be the website guy. You be the logo guy and you be the social media guy. And that, that kind of got me started with, okay, well, how do I build a website? I started from scratch, just trying to understand the basics through online coding websites. At some point, I just kind of ran out of understanding how to do things. There was no structure in how I was doing it. And this was back in 2014 for some context there. And then I, I think we realized with the business that we had no idea what we were doing and it fell apart. But I knew that there was, there was more that I needed to learn to be able to do website design professionally. And I knew that Jesse was running a code school and that there was a specialization for front-end engineers. And I was really excited and knew I wanted to do it. But my only issue was that I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. But I remember that my brother was graduating, or my brother had graduated from high school and got a big beach trip with all of his friends as a graduation present. So then I went to my parents and said, hey, I don't want any sort of party or any present like that, but I do want to attend this program accelerator. And, you know, they were on board immediately. That's kind of how it all got started. All right. Uh, wow. There's a lot to love in that story. <laughs> I love that you started the business and got clients and then realized, oh my gosh, we have no idea how to do this. Yeah. Um, that's super funny. I sort of applaud your jumping right in and, and let's figure it out as we go. I think that's really neat. And plus, I feel like it's probably a parent's dream to have their kid come to them and say, don't throw me a party. I don't want to go to the beach. I just want to go to this program and learn. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so good for you. That's fantastic. Walk us through the timing. You graduated high school. Then you went to Momentum. Then you yep. went to college. Is that right? Yeah. So I'll give you just kind of a quick rundown. When I was 17 in 2014 and I attended Momentum during that, that summer after high school, I then went to Appalachian State University in 2014 and graduated in 2017. 
during that time, I worked at three different startups, kind of doing a variety of different things that were all software related. And the first startup that I got uh, that I worked for was a directly linked to, to Momentum, so Shoeboxed, if, if you've heard of it. And then I worked as a sales consultant for Sprint, selling cell phones. I was very involved in my fraternity and ended up becoming president. I owned two of my own businesses. One was a social media management agency, and then one was a technology that allowed blind and the visually impaired people use social media just the same way that they would if they didn't have a disability. Ultimately, both got closed down. But then after graduating, I started working at Sunrise Technologies as a technical architect. Uh, I've worked with clients all across the domestic U.S. and implemented just about every type of system that you could name. The last one actually that I hadn't implemented was a manufacturing system. And I finally checked that box because the project I'm running has manufacturing plants across the globe. So now, now that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm actively working on. All right. That's great. So you worked at three startups that was during college. Yes. Yes. Okay. And then you started two of your own. That's amazing because a typical college kid sort of working their way through college would be like doing the Panera thing or, you know, something like that, like you did when you were in high school. But it looks to me like you were kind of able to get more meaty and meaningful jobs almost because you had a skill set that a lot of your peers just don't have because you because of the combination of your college and your code school. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. That foundation that I had from momentum really jump started everything. It gave me a skill set that no one else in my age bracket had. And so it it always put me kind of in the lead when it came to, you know, being a candidate for something. Mm-hmm. That's great. And then right out of college, getting your job at Sunrise as a technical architect. Tell me about your progression at Sunrise. Have What are some of the things you've gotten to work on? You mentioned the manufacturing project. That sounds very cool. Tell us what are the kind of things that you do day to day and how that has progressed for you since you started there. I started really doing a lot of hands-on development, so building integrations between systems so that they can um, just communicate back and forth, basically making them all talk together. I mean, then after, you know, a few years of, of doing that, gotten to the point where now I'm leading those projects. And and really, it came from one night that I was in, I was a, a senior in, in college, and I had wanted to start a business, but then I kind of had a awakening moment where I was like, I think I could learn so much if I just go get a job. So I did a resume blast and applied, I think, to like 100 jobs in just one night. Um, Next morning, I woke up from an email from the head of recruitment at Sunrise, and she was saying, let's set up an interview for today. I did the remote interview. And then later that day after that, she said, well, can you come into the office in the next few days? And I was like, yeah, I can be there as soon as possible. And it was within 72 hours that I had gone from not knowing Sunrise to then being hired by Sunrise. And the whole process, you know, the speed of it and everything and the just the intelligence of the people there, I was thinking, wow, I can learn so much here and build off from that. And I never would have had my foot in the door, you know, if I didn't have that foundation from momentum to kind of grow from. 
Mm-hmm. Wow, that's like a probably a world record for the fastest job <laughs> ever. I know. I, I try to compare <laughs> with some of my coworkers, and they're like, "What? That's insane." <laughs> oh, well, I mean, what that tells me is they saw your application and the kinds of things you had done, and they recognized your hustle and your skill set, and they said, "Quick, let's get this guy in here before somebody else gets him." So <laughs> good for you. That's fantastic. Um, when you look kind of long term, um, given your experience and skill set, what's the what's the long term career plan for you? What's the goal? Yeah. So, you know, long term goal is that I start my own business. You know, like I mentioned, I've started a few, but they always seem to kind of fall short because I'm spreading my focus around a few different things. And then I, I want to start a business with my brother, really. He actually went to Momentum as well. And we always go back and forth on idea for businesses. We spend the majority of our time hanging out and just debating on what technology is going to revolutionize the world. You know, I'm, nor- I'm normally leaning more towards the massive scale, crazy, unheard of things that kind of make you say like, you, wait, what are you trying to do? And he's more like on the rational side of, well, this is actually how we could make it work, how to make it a business. So we kind of pair up and balance each other pretty well. You sound like a good, uh, like you need each other. Yes, we do. Yeah, that's fantastic. You probably gained so much out of momentum and college and what a great combination that seems to have been for you to really propel your career to where you're now leading projects and um, dreaming of kind of the long term. How do you take everything that you've learned and everything that you know and, and start some kind of cool business that's going to change the world. I can't wait to see what that is and what that, what you do with that, but we will be watching because it sounds super exciting. I just want to jump in on that too. And I think Mason is such a great example of what's required for the future of work and the future economy. And when we think about COVID and the disruption that it's caused and, and, you know, the decline in you know, we're now entering a a recession as a a, a global economy, the skills that are going to be required for young people to rapidly gain for the job market are going to be those entrepreneurial driven skills. And at this point in history, that includes knowing how to code, whether or not you're going to be running a business as a CEO or um, CTO, COO, whatever, you know, Mason and um, his brother Chad decide to do, they're still going to need to understand how to build product, and they're still going to need to be able to understand how to manage folks that are building software product. And that's why I think it's so key as we look at a possible, you know, students taking a gap year or trying to actually gain what they're going to need for the future. Coding provides you with that entrepreneurial ability. It provides you with the ability to go ahead and quickly spin up some, uh, uh, you know, an MVP or quickly get a website together. And and those skills are are vitally important. And Katie, to your point too, on on the cost of it. And and if you look at Momentum's program, we we have a program that is segmented into four phases and they're also priced individually. So there might be some students out there who maybe they've got a mix of entrepreneurial goals and maybe like Mason, they had some sort of interest in building logos or, or doing something that's more visually oriented. There's one section of the class that they can take for $4,000 and they can get done in four weeks. And that will still help them propel themselves towards those future forward, future focused skills. 
in a way that's very, very tactical, you know, college tends to be very theoretical, which is great. And I, you know, I, I have a college degree from a liberal arts school that I really value and the skills that I learned there are really helpful in my career as well. So that fusion of those things, I think are are really key and who knows what next year is going to look like, uh, what the landscape is going to look like. If you, if you can start building websites or start interacting with people and just get started, you're going to have such a, to Mason's point, like he's just a great example of being able to try things and start companies in that time that you're spent in academia and and just be ready for the workforce in a whole different way. Like Mason, how old are you right now? You're 25? I'm 24. 24, right? Like that's a career that most, he's got a career that most 24 year olds do not have. (laughs) So also something for parents and, and students going to college to consider. I think to me, in my mind, having worked in higher ed for a long time, what was so refreshing about coming to Momentum was the fact that the training is really specifically geared for the job market. And one thing that I'm, I've been reading a lot about, obviously, are huge unemployment going on and, and what does getting people back to work look like. And it seems kind of the idea that it seems most likely to me is this idea of kind of the reallocation shock in which a lot of the job losses that we've seen are sadly going to be permanent. They're not going to be jobs that just get rehired as things open up and COVID starts to hopefully um, dissipate and be less of a factor in in our daily lives. So what that means is kind of an initial quick recovery in employment, but then that will gradually level off as people who are out of work realize their jobs aren't coming back and they need to retrain and reskill. And it's going to be tech where those jobs that are newly created and the jobs that do come back are. And so being equipped with the skill set to succeed in that new landscape is going to be so, so important as people get back to work, as people graduate from college, as people forego college because of the cost or the risk involved in residentially living on a college campus and look for alternatives. And it just seems to me like the, a really efficient way to get the skill set that you need is a code school. And that's why I'm so excited about this idea and wanted to share it with everybody. So, Jessica, people considering code school, how can they learn more about Momentum? Check us out at MomentumLearn.com. You can also follow us on social media. Our social media handles are at High Momentum, H-I Momentum. We're active on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn right now, so and Twitter. So we encourage you all to follow us. Uh, there is an application on our homepage if you're interested in taking a course. And again, uh, the full kit and caboodle course is, is a 16-week four-phase program that gets you job ready. And part of that course is that you get to spend time with Katie and prepared with the soft skills component of getting a job at the end of the course. We actually don't consider our students fully graduated from that 16-week program until they have a job. So that is a that is the job track. And that course is also broken into four-week or four segments of four weeks each. You can go in and put your email address, give us your contact information, and we will directly email you a course guide so you can understand what each phase of the course means. The first phase of the course is focused on 
um, more front end type of technology, the stuff that you see when you're going to a website, the stuff that you interact with as a consumer. The second phase of the course is focused more on, on the back end side of the of web and software development. The third phase of the course is focused on an advanced topic of the student's choice, whether that's advanced front end or advanced back end development. And then um, the last phase of the course is a four week capstone project. And that is a, a, a time for students to get really creative. If you do have a business idea, if you're a young person coming in with a business idea, that is your time to try it out, to build your minimum viable product, to actually spend time developing that software uh, and getting the guidance on, on how to approach doing that. So this program is designed after very similar to a, uh, a company accelerator program or a program that helps get startup organizations really propelled and off the ground. And so that's what we'll do for your code education. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us today. This was a great discussion. Abby at OptimaEducational.com. Abby Bittler, thank you for joining us today thank and you sharing your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. It was great having you. Mason Whitaker at Sunrise Technologies. Mason, thanks for being here. I love your story. I can't wait to see how it continues to unfold and really wish you continued good luck with everything. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. And Jessica, thanks as always for coming to share um, with us about Momentum and all the great things that are going on there. And uh, since we work together, I'll be seeing you throughout the day. (laughs) Thank you so much, Katie. And and great hearing from you, Abby and and Mason. Um, Always so, so proud of seeing what you're up to. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Get a Job, Here's How podcast. You can find all the information from this episode in our show notes at www.backtobusinessconference.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please write a review so that we can reach more people. Now that you know how, go do it.